Students are at the centre of everything we do and everything we are trying to improve is for their benefit and experience. QQI is excited for all providers and stakeholders to focus on this next session, centering students in quality assurance to promote equity and engagement. Our keynote speaker for this session is Professor Peter Felton of Elon University in North Carolina in the United States. Welcome, Peter. Good afternoon. I'm from the American South now, so there's this thing we do where when I say something, you're supposed to respond. So good afternoon. <laughs> Although I have to say, um, where I come from, what I should say right now is good morning. But um, thank you so much for having me here. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be part of the conversation so far. I hope this session is really stimulating and exciting. And I apologize for my accent. Um, I hope you can understand some of my language. One last thing before I begin, which is I, I have the privilege this year to be in something, it's got a long title. So I'm in the Fulbright Canada Distinguished Chair in the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning at Carleton University in Ottawa in Canada. So thank you for rescuing me from Canadian winter for a few days. And, um, and it, again, I wanna thank the Fulbright and folks for making that possible. So we're here to talk about centering students in quality assurance to promote equity and engagement. Um, and the last session that just happened on the stage so rhymed with what we're going to be talking about now, I just want to lift up three things that people on this stage or at that table said in the last session that seem completely aligned with what we're talking about today. Minister Harris said the learner is at the heart of everything we do. Of course. The question really, I think, isn't should the learner be at the heart of everything we do? I think a better question is how do we think about the learner? Do we think about them as customers, as objects of the heart of everything we do? Or Dr. Reddy from South Africa, I think, framed it correctly. We need to think about students as active agents, as partners in everything we do. And to do that, as Professor Ellis said, we really need to honor student voice. We need to bring student voices very deeply and centrally into all our work, especially around quality assurance and equity, to get towards the engagement goals, to get towards the civic goals, to get towards the income goals our students might have. Right? So I'm just going to have a few remarks, maybe 10 minutes or so, to orient you from my own perspective, because I'm coming from a different vantage point in the US and drawing on research and experience in the US. I also happen to be on the board of the National Survey of Student Engagement in the US, which is associated, NESI, it's associated with the Student Engagement Survey here. And so what I wanna offer from my perspective and invite you to think about from your perspective is five principles on centering students. Um, before I do this, I just wanna underscore that I know there's very impressive work happening in Ireland already. If you have not seen it for some reason, really, I urge you to look at the NSTEP 2022-2025 strategy, which I think is exceptional. Um, I think it's world-class work there. And so what I'm going to do is not repeat that, but take a different perspective on the same thing. Asking the question, how do we do this work? 
How do we actually center students in quality assurance, in engagement, in ways that are equitable? And my suggestion is these five principles should be at the heart of what we're thinking about in our work, the heart of the design for our work so we can do this work systematically. So briefly, let me just touch on what I'm thinking about with these five principles. The first is about evidence-informed. And he heard hints of this throughout the day. I think the evidence we draw on needs to be both local and national, right? We should use things like the student survey, in Ireland, we should use also stories, though. As we were talking earlier, students, especially students from equity-seeking groups, can disappear in a lot of our assessment data, in a lot of our survey data, for example. So if you wanted to think about the experience of disabled students during COVID, or students with disabilities during COVID at your institution, you could look at survey data from your institution. But how would you know if this percentage of students who are concerned about a, a particular issue are, are students with disabilities or not, right? So first, what we need to do is use quantitative data and qualitative data to find out what's really happening inside there. Secondly, I think something that we um, involved in quality assurance in the US at least just chronically have a problem with is we look very closely at data that our institution generated. And we almost completely ignore all the research on these same topics. And so we should think about what is the research telling us more broadly that should inform how we think about quality here in this context. And then third, and I think most importantly when we're thinking about evidence-informed, the evidence needs to be in the hands of the people who use it. Too often in the US, we get surveys like Nessie, for example, and it goes to the president and the academic deans. And, and the people who could actually act on this, the people who are interacting with students never see the data or never access the data in ways that's useful. So for our practice to be evidence-informed, it really has to be in the hands of students. Excuse me, in the hands of the people who can use it. A second point is that our work needs to be equity-minded. And we heard this quite a lot in the conversation about academic integrity in a different way, which is if we have systematic inequities, we need to approach those with systematic remedies. One of the biggest challenges in the US right now in higher education is around inequities in experiences and in outcomes, inequities in engagement. And too often in the US, what we do is we, we rely on individual staff and individual programs to address those. And it's really important, of course, that individual staff and individual programs address these problems. But if we have systemic inequities at my institution, this, the, the solution to that cannot be lots of individuals acting on their own. We need systemic work to remedy that. Second point here is that really engaging with equity requires a level of humility at both the institutional level and the individual level. At the individual level, I think many of us have learned to recognize we, my perspective is not everyone's perspective. I really need to understand and try to appreciate perspectives that are different than mine. But in the US, one of the challenges we have with this is institutional humility. Too often in the US, we say, well, how do we do something? How do we work? with students from historically excluded or historically marginalized groups in our country. 
And too often the answer in the US to everything is, well, how does Harvard do that? Harvard was not built or designed to serve students from historically marginalized or equity-seeking groups. Um, and Harvard also has a $46 billion endowment. Right? They can do things that everyone else can't. If we want to look for models of how to work well with students with disabilities, let's look at institutions that were built to serve students with disabilities, that serve large numbers of students with disabilities effectively. In the US context, that means we should look at community colleges. We should look at historically black colleges and universities as models of equitable engagement, rather than looking at the prestige numbers or the league tables to say, where should we look? And then I hinted at this already because I interrupted myself, but really when we look at data, we need to disaggregate it. What tends to happen is data hides equity-seeking groups. So if you want to look, for example, at the perspective of students of color on my campus, where about 30% of the students on my campus are students of color, we can't just look at a survey of all of our students and say, how do students of color respond to this? Because we might see that 30% of our students are dissatisfied with a certain aspect or having, not having a rich experience. Well, what if we looked at that data and disaggregated it and found that 90% of our students of color are dissatisfied with something? That's only 28% of our overall student body. So it disappears in one way and it becomes really salient if we look at the data in another way. It's on us to look at the data in ways that help us see equity and help us understand engagement. A third principle I'd like to encourage you to think about, and you've heard a lot about today, is context aware. And we've heard a lot today about the context we're in, the broad context we're in. And that's really important. As a historian, I always get a little bit excited when someone quotes Lenin saying, we're living through a time with a lot of history. That's powerful. That's really important. And, and I think we do need to pay attention to that broader context. I also want us, though, to focus on something we haven't talked quite as much about from this stage, at least yet, which is our own institutional context. There was a very powerful longitudinal study in the US um, done. It's called the Wabash National Study. You may have seen some of the evidence from it. There's a famous book in the US called Academically Adrift, which was based on Wabash National Survey data. One of the findings the Wabash study has emphasized, but just hasn't gotten a lot of uptick in the US. And this was a longitudinal study of undergraduates at more than two dozen very diverse US universities. One of the biggest findings of the Wabash National Study is that the difference of student experience is greater within any single institution than it is between any two institutions. Right? So if you want to look at what excellent student experience is in Ireland, you could look at lots of different places. Perhaps the best place to look is your own institution at the students who are thriving the most. Because those are your students, and they're being successful. They're thriving. At the same time, if you want to look at where are we struggling, you don't need to look elsewhere. Look at your own students. The research in the US is really, really powerful in, a, in that when we talk about engagement, we shouldn't talk about engaged students and disengaged students. We should think of all students as episodically engaged. 
They're engaged in some aspects of their work and not others. And when we take that approach to thinking about episodic engagement, then we don't put too much faith that we're doing well or that we're doing poorly. The story's more complicated, right? A fourth principle for you is growth-oriented. And as an institution, I think what we need to do is be humble enough, be willing enough to be positively restless in our work, right? To recognize both where we're doing well, where our students are doing well, and be proud of that, but not be satisfied with that. A really excellent example of this from the US, I think, is Purdue University, which is a large research and STEM-oriented university in Indiana. And Purdue, when they compared themselves to their peers, had many, were number one in the first year experience in many categories about 15 years ago. They did a large study of their first year experience. But what they, what they decided to do was that was great, but that wasn't good enough because there were still a meaningful number of Purdue students who were struggling in the first year experience. So the, the president there commissioned a 200-member body of their students, faculty, and staff to work on the first-year experience there, to say, yes, we're the best in our league, but we can be better for our students. Right? So we need that kind of positive restlessness. And then one more example is we need to recognize that involvement with quality assurance, involvement with student engagement, partnership work is powerfully educative for our students. It's an amazing opportunity for our students. Uh, I was having lunch today, actually, and we were talking about this, and one person asked, so how do we identify the students who could be engaged with our engagement work, with our quality assurance work? And there was a good conversation about that, but it struck me that the conversation was framed around how do we identify talent who'd be willing to do this? And that's important, but it leaves out the how do we help those students understand that this could be one of their most powerful educational experiences? Right? This is powerful work. And so I want to hold up a model for you from Australia, um, a project that I know enough about to be dangerous, but I'm not involved in. It's at Western Sydney University, and it's called the 21st Century Project. And the assumption behind the premise of the 21st Century Project, you can look it up on Google. It's brilliant. They have lovely videos, too. But the premise behind this is that the goal of Western Sydney is to prepare leaders, their students, to be leaders and change makers in the world. Right? And the insight of this program is, well, if you want to be a change maker in the world, what you need to be able to do is make change in organizations and in bureaucracies and in systems. And the university is nothing if not a big, complicated organization bureaucracy and system. Students are invested in their own education experience. They want the best for themselves and their peers, so they're willing to work hard, many of them, to affect change as an institution. But what if we teach the university as a space to practice the kinds of change-making skills, change-making habits, change-making knowledge that you're going to need to be a change-maker in the world? I think it's, it's just a brilliant project. And then fifth, and finally, as I close, is this work needs to be values-based. And, and I see that in at least two ways, again, one of which we've heard quite a lot about today. 
which is if our work needs to focus not on small things, but on big things. You know, if there's a climate crisis, how, are we, how do we assure the quality of our education is working to address that climate crisis? And the quote there, targeting simpler outcomes, is from a large longitudinal study of change at two American universities. It's a really brilliant study. And, and one of the main findings of this is that there's a tension for those of us trying to make change in universities and in, in higher education more broadly, which is it, there's a temptation to say to people who are busy and tired, this is easy. This is small. It just takes little steps. But what this study found is that when we say that, we're also being heard as saying this isn't very important. This maybe isn't worth your time. It's not that big of a deal. And so if we're working on something that really matters, this study suggests we need to claim that and say this is about this core value. This is about something that matters to all of us. And my final thought, since we're thinking about centering students, is a quote from a brilliant American book on higher education by Sharon Adalos Parks. The book is called Big Questions, Worthy Dreams. And the phrase comes from students she interviewed. And this is more than 20 years ago. And it, it's an inspiring book, but in some ways it's a deeply depressing book. Because what Sharon was seeking in this is why are students disengaged at university in the United States? And what she found is that students said they come to higher education with big questions and with worthy dreams. You know, they want to make a good living after they graduate. They also want to contribute to the community. They want to help their family. They want to save the planet, right? And then they come into our first year courses and they study intro to psychology and calculus and other important things. And what they sold Sharon and I find true at my own institution is they very quickly learn that the first year of a university in the United States is not a place where you engage with big questions and worthy dreams. And so they become disengaged and they become transactional because we teach them to be that way. So if we really want to engage students deeply and equitably in, it, in our work, we need to honor the big questions and the worthy dreams they bring with them to our institutions, because those are deeply motivating. Those will keep them following academic integrity, and those will help us do our work to be more equitable. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Felton. I know we're going to hear from you again a little bit later on in the session. We're now going to have a panel discussion.